I have always been fascinated by how our experiences and values shape the way we act and think. It has been in my experience that stories of resilience and passion often inspire others and spur action. In this VUCA world, it is important we figure out what it is we stand for and ultimately ask ourselves, how can we make a difference? In this episode, I speak with Daryl, co-founder of Augmentus, an AI robot programming platform. He shed light on the value and potential of robotics in our future and how Augmentus is striving to make robotics engineering more affordable and accessible. On top of that, he offered me additional information that any aspiring entrepreneur should know, such as the importance of mentorship and googliness. I asked him the hard questions and he served his very honest answers. Hi guys, welcome back to Radio Pulse, the sound of NUS. This is Nezreen and you are with me at We Mean Business. Now, I just want to thank you for being with me for the last three episodes. I've been very encouraged by it and I have been even more encouraged by the number of guests that are going to come on my show. Uh, One of which is the person in front of me today. We have Mr. Daryl Lim. He is the co-founder of Augmentus, a robotic software company. Now, for the lame people, uh, can you please explain to them, Daryl, what your company does? Hey, Nazreen. Yeah, I'm Daryl here. So, I'm one of the co-founders of Augmentus. So, in a nutshell, Augmentus is like the Canva for robot programming. So, we enable very easy, no-code, very easy-to-use uh, software for people to program industrial robots in minutes instead of what would normally take uh, weeks or months. So, it's a bit like, like a drag-and-drop interface. and uh, But we have a lot of powerful algorithms on the back end that will help to automate the process behind the scene. So you just need to know the, the task that you want to do and our software will do the rest for you. So it's a bit of a no-code, very easy-to-use programming software. Mm, I see. And when you say easy-to-use, you don't need any experience uh, with regards to designing softwares. Mm. Am I correct? That's the that's the goal. And oh. based on our current uh, deployments, uh, we seem to have uh, achieved it. So we're very uh, excited for it as well. Huh, I see. So you say that you've achieved it. Now, can you tell me more about your metrics? How you uh, confirm that you've reached your goal? Mm. So for us, the main metric that we use is, uh, firstly, of course, is the license that we deploy because the more license we deploy, it means that we are addressing a market need, right? That's for sure. But secondly, also is the types of people using it. So before us, they would need to actually hire very experienced robotic engineers and scientists uh, so teams, right, of very highly paid people to program these robotic systems. But when Augmentus came in, a non-technical user, uh, you can think of it a bit like a robot operator rather than a, than a robot engineer. Mm-hmm. So they do not know the technicalities behind robotics, but they know the task, right? They know how to paint. They know how to weld, right? These are taskmasters, and they are the ones now using our software. So we kind of, uh, we would say upskill, uh, the robot operator to become more of a robot engineer or robot manager. And that's come one of the metrics that we use. And most, actually all of the users that are using our software are robot operators. So they're not, they're not really engineers. So the engineers are now the ones managing them, right? Mm-hmm. So we see this, and we see this being a huge uh, change in the industry moving forward. More people are going to be upskilled, either because of software or because of education, because they're going to upskill to become more of a robot engineer and manager role. Because no one no one really wants to do well. You know, one thing a million times, one year, is, is not a very high value 
or not not really high, not high value, but very cumbersome and very difficult job uh, to sustain. Yeah. Mm. So that's a that's a lot of things that you just said right there, and it it might so- sound very um technical mm. to some people, and some people might not be in touch with it. I myself am not very in touch with robotics and you know coding and all that, but. Can you just help us summarize? Because all the previous guests that I've had on this show, they have helped me see that the company has brought value to society, has brought value to people's lives. Can you tell me about the vision that you have for Augmentus and how, what motivated you towards that vision? Yeah. Yeah. So prior to starting Augmentus, uh, my co-founders and I, so we were actually developing and deploying robotic solutions for large multinational companies. So like Rolls-Royce, like Shell, like IHI. So myself, previously, I was actually uh, the co-founder of another company, which was HNEO. I uh, was doing product and operations there. So we were doing a lot towards computing automation. So even though it's not very, very, uh, I would say, very relevant or very linked to industrial automation, there are some similarities. Uh, but I do understand the problem statements because I was working in companies like Seagate where I was very exposed to these operations as well. And my other co-founders, so Yongshin and Wunfu, uh, they were very technically involved. Hmm. So Yongshin, for instance, he was the technical lead at ALTC, which is the Advanced Reman- Remanufacturing Technology Center in ASAR. So they have a lot of robots there. You just go inside, you can see all the industrial robot arms. Hmm. And he's also very, very familiar with the, the robotic situation. And that really inspired us, you know, when we, when we came together, uh, we set ourselves out to solve this problem. Because it is an industry-wide problem. I think just want to share some statistics with you. 70% of the cost of robot ownership mm. is not hardware-related. It's actually more towards software and integration. Mm. Mainly due to the cost of hiring people, uh, the cost of software, the the fragmentation in the, in the software ecosystem. Because you program one robot doesn't mean you can use the same code to program another. Because different robot brands have different programming languages. Very technical. So sorry about that. But, <laughs> but, but this is the nature of the industry. And to make things worse, right, um, the talent side of the equation, the human resource side of the equation is also an issue because there's a global shortage in robotic talent. Mm. Uh, that's why you see SG Innovate, right? They are they are kind of like pushing for robotic talent. So there's this PowerX program by SG Innovate. Mm. Not sponsored by them, but we are part <laughs> of the program because we also want to groom the, the next generation of robotic engineers as well. Right. So there is a huge uh, shortage and there's many initiatives now coming up for it. And we we kind of want to solve that problem together as well. Right. And, and just looking to the future, do you see robots playing a very big part in people's lives? I mean, you talk about grooming a next generation of leaders in this industry, right? And on your LinkedIn, you also talk about the fourth industrial revolution. So come, tell me more about that. Mm, I think robotics in general uh, is going to be a huge part of people's life. But but the reality of it is that it's not going to be a huge part like you can see it, right? It's, it's not, you won't see like robotic arms in your house anytime soon. I'm very sure of that. I think there's some companies like Samsung, they're trying to like put what Samsung bought or something in your house. But I just don't think it's commercially viable because mm-hmm. the reality of robotics today is that it's very good at doing one thing a million times. But you want if you want to do... Uh, you know, maybe a hundred things 1,000 times, which is what we're doing every day in our lives, right? We have so many dynamic dynamic moving parts. Right. Robots are not smart enough to be aware. So uh, maybe that's going to happen 20, 20 years down the line, but definitely not now. So robots will power our infrastructure, right? So be it construction, be it manufacturing, be it agricultural, urban farms. These are what will change uh, the sustainability of our ecosystem that we live in today. And that is how I feel robotics will be a huge part of our lives. Consumers, we won't see it, but if you, but 
the things that you will start using are being powered by robotics. I mean, a very good example that people do not know is that robots have been around our lives for 50 years, mm. right? But you only hear this term being 10 years, right? Because of this, uh, this I guess, trend in, in technology and, and consumerism. Right. Uh, so you see ca cars and uh, automotive and aerospace, they use robots all the time. Mm. It's only when you see Tesla, they wow, Tesla is so innovative. But actually, Tesla, yes, they have innovated in fully, auto fully aut autonomous uh, auto automotive production. But actually, robots have already been being, being used in the industry for many, many years. Mm. So uh, I really do think within the next five to 10 years, more SMEs will be able to use robots to manufacture their goods mm. and to many and to automate their processes. But for consumers, it's still going to take some time. I think it's going to be at least 10 to 20 years down the line till we see more uh, robots being uh, adopted. And when I say robots, I don't mean like the Xiaomi vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I was going to ask. The iRobot. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is a kind of like a robot, but it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit dumb robot, right? It just, huh. it just moves around. Yeah, so so it's, it's, good. it's a very exciting time of our lives. Definitely, for sure. Right. So essentially, consumers like me, as you said, we, we're not going to be able to see these things, right? Um, unless we're in the industry, we're probably not going to notice it. So how would you help people like me see the value of what you're doing? I think for us, it's definitely about more education. I mean, the reality of it is that students are becoming more aware of robots is because of the media's influence, right? If the media didn't hype robotics and AI... Uh, to, su to such an extent today, uh, we probably wouldn't even be aware of it. And then the startups also in this in this space, they raise a lot of money doing this. It, it does help people to understand the, the booming benefits uh, and potential of AI and robotics. So I think I think people do people are already aware mm. of the value and the benefits of and the potential of robotics, right? That's why people, that's why if you just Google robotics, people will be like, oh my God, it's uh is uh, we couldn't have a, a apocalypse, right? Robotic apocalypse, right? Uh -huh. The Ultron. You watch what if? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, the, I didn't. Oh, you should go watch, man. So the latest episode was like Ultron taking over the war. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a spoiler, it's already on the trailers. <laughs> yeah, so 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 I mean, people definitely really know the the potential and and the and the, and the dangerousness of it, right? Even Elon Musk also mentioned about it. So I don't think. Edu more education is required mm. from, from that. But I do think exposure is required. So I think things like hackathons, I spoke about this recently as well with some people. So hackathons, a lot of hackathons are very focused towards like fintech and like digital media. But how about we put more hackathons towards like robotics, right? AI, I think is, is an overused term. Uh, but robotics in general, I think there's not enough. And I think maybe it's also because there's, there's too, it's too much of a niche and too much of a focus to make edge. Mm. Uh, so I do think maybe more companies like maybe Augmentus or maybe ABB, they can start their own hackathons. It's not, it's not normal for them to do hackathons. Yeah. But I do think it's a very, very, it's an excellent way to educate students mm. in, uh, in kind of like a hands-on approach to the subject matter. Right, right. Hackathons is a is a common word I hear across all my interviews. Now, have have you been to hackathons? I assume you have, right? Yeah, yeah was, I've been a few. Was that how you got started with this project? Yeah, I, I, I exactly. So my co-founders and I we actually met in Startup Weekend. So th this was back in twenty nineteen, like uh, close to close to two years now. So um, I think we the two of us we kind of came together in Startup Weekend with our own. Uh, ideas in mind mm. but then I think we kind of but we all came together with the same problem statement right so I think the solution uh, we all had maybe a bit of different ideas around it but we all came together around a similar problem statement and that was when we kind of ideated around it to create the solution we have today so hackathons are uh, an excellent way to find co-founders mm. uh, yeah but we definitely we came together through hackathons yeah. 
So you and your current co-founders, you met through the hackathon. That's true startup weekend. Wow, and they've just been with you all the way since. How long has it been you uh, you started Augmentus? Close, close to two years now. So we started in 2019, like mm, Q3 2019. Okay, so they've st- stuck by you through the tough times, right? <laughs> I mean... I mean, I've stuck by them too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so two way, yeah. Okay, that's good. Good to hear. Yeah. Um, tell tell me more about that. The dynamics. I'm sure it wasn't a easy journey. Yeah, it def- right? definitely wasn't. Uh, but I do think that is the reason why we managed to kind of grow our company to the way it is today is because we have very very complementary skill sets, hmm. and we don't really like to. I mean, hide too many things from each other, right? Like, if there's something that's wrong, we kind of want to clear the air straight away. So, uh, I mean, if you guys are in the kind of the startup scene, you guys will know there's always a tree, a bit of a stereotype, right? There's the hustler, there's a the hacker, there's the <laughs> hipster, right? I don't know, do you know, do you know about this? This is new. Please tell me more. <laughs> so, so basically, the hustler is a CEO, right? Then the hacker is a CTO. Uh huh. Then the <laughs> hipster is a CPO or CMO. So CPO is chief product officer. CMO oh. is chief marketing officer. Okay. To be honest, it's, it's I mean, but but the skill set is is it is pretty all encompassing, right? Uh-huh. Very comprehensive when you have these three figures. Because the CEO is basically meant to just uh, sell, right? Mm. Sell, 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 sell. So you need to hustle. I'm not saying none of them need to hustle, but but uh, it's the term hustling is usually meant to sell, right? Like insurance mm. agents hustle, hustle, hustle. Then the second one is CTO is is really the technology mind behind it. Uh, he needs to be relatively good in coding, very relatively good in technology infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the last one is hipster, which is more towards like how do you uh, how do you get inbound? So CEO is more like outbound. Mm-hmm. Outbound means you ask people, inbound means they ask you. Mm-hmm. Right. So CMO is more like how do you get them interested in your product? Right. right. How do you how do you create this hype or, or mentality around it? So so it's pretty all encompassing, I would say. So uh yeah, so the reality of it is that uh, the three of us, we have very, very complementary skill set. So, Boon Fu, uh, he is the CTO. So, he's one of the best uh, coders, definitely, I, I've seen. And I've seen quite a fair bit as well. Uh, and he's very young. So, uh, <laughs> definitely a lot of potential. Uh-huh. Then, my co other co-founder, Yongshin, he has a lot of industry expertise. So, he serves as more of the... He serves as more of the product and the, and the customer success route of it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm, I'm more towards the, the selling side and the marketing side as well. Right. So I think that's how we complement each other pretty well. Yeah. So would you consider selling or being the CEO your expertise? Was it something you've always been good at? So, so my co-founder, Yongshin, is mm. the CEO. So I'm the COO of Augmentus. Oh. The Chief you Operating the Officer. Yeah. CEO, ma, you are the CEO, right? COO. Yeah, CEO is my group. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> no worries, no worries. I mean, it's, it's very normal. So like, people like to confuse me and him anyway. So, okay. But my co-founder, Yongshin, is the CEO. So the Chief Executive Officer. Okay. And I'm the COO, the Chief Operating Officer. Who, do you have a CTO? CTO is Vunfu, correct, yeah. So CMO don't have? Uh, we don't have a small company. Ah, uh, I see, okay. We're only 20 people big, so. Okay. Actually, what is big? Uh, how many people is considered big? Uh... To be frank, uh, I think it depends on the stage that you're at. So uh-huh. let's say if you're like a seed-funded company, you have 20 people, it's relatively big. Uh-huh. If you're a Series A, you have like 100 people, it's relatively big. And if you're a Series B, it's like 150 or something like that. Yeah. So it depends on the stage you're at. But I would say that maybe the term big represents the, the stage of the company. And for us, we are relatively young, which means mm-hmm. we're relatively small. Yeah. But I think maybe once we reach like a Series C or Series B stage, that would mean that we are a bit more established, a bit more mature, a bit more big. So that's how I would... It's very subjective, but that's how I would define it. 
What, what do you mean by series? What, what's that? So this is uh, VC 101. So Venture Capital 101. Yeah, hit me, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm mean, i here to learn. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, okay. So in a startup, uh, there's there's two there's two kind of startups that can exist in this world. Maybe, maybe there's more, but these two are kind of a bit all-encompassing, right? For for-profit startups, right? So first one is uh, a bit more traditional startups. Uh-huh. Basically, what it means is that you can grow and sustain yourself through income and through revenue. Right. right? So it's a bit like maybe your mom and pop shop, your tuition centers, mm. and so on, right? So they, they make a lot of uh, cash flow income. Very right. good. Very, very good, traditional, sustainable company. Mm. Uh, but very hard to scale. Scaling means that uh, with one input, you get maybe 10 outputs, right? Because very good examples at tuition centers, right? You need uh, one class 40 people or one class 20 people. You have, you need to have one teacher right. all the time. So it's it's always like that. Oh, right? okay, okay. Right? Uh, okay, then now let's move on to uh, the second one, which is more towards uh, high growth startups. So uh-huh. high growth startups means that there's a lot of potential for 20 times. So you put one, you get maybe 100, mm. 200. Or fifty, right? Wow. So it's a very high growth uh, startup, and most startups today that receive venture backing, so maybe it's VC funding, they are high growth startups. Okay. And the reason for that is because VCs want fifty times returns, they want hundred times returns. Mm. They don't invest in you for three times returns. They must invest in Dogecoin. Mm. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, everybody, but but you get what I'm saying, right? Yes. Yeah. So 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 this is high growth startups, and most of the time they are software, so SaaS like HubSpot, like uh, Slack, right? Mm-hmm. There's very very little. Uh, cost of acquiring customers. Right. Like, there's not a lot of COGS, cost of goods. So the margin is very high, 70%, 80%. I see. Right. Because you let's say you subscribe to to like Slack, mm-hmm. right? What's the cost for them? Maybe AWS costs or whatever cloud source service they use. Uh, a few cents, right? It's not like you're buying a like an iPad or iPhone, right? Right, it's, right, okay. Yeah, so that is the difference. Mm. And then when you go to the venture back side, there's Pre-seed. So pre-seed is when you first start off, then you need some money to validate the product. Seed is like you're validating product market fit. Mm-hmm. Then Series A, you're validating growth. So validating customer acquisition. How do you acquire customers to get that hockey stick growth? Series B is about nurturing. And Series C onwards is more like, I, I already know what I'm doing. I just need to grow. <laughs> yeah. Until our IPO or until our exit. That's, oh. that's usually the roadmap. Lah. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for the business for dummies. Uh, <laughs> always, uh, I mean, we don't really teach this in NOC as well. So I think hopefully your viewers will benefit. Yeah, I, I have benefited. But as you were saying all of that, I mean, I was just thinking to myself, I mean, it all sounds quite overwhelming, especially for the newbie who might not be very in touch with the business side. But then some people still want to, they have some ideas, they want to start something, but they have all these like lack of knowledge hindering them or this fear hindering them. Now, did you face that yourself when you were first starting out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I know all these is not, like, you know, when I started Augmentus, I, I, I got all this, right? Yeah. I learn as I do. And that's the reality of, of life, right? So for us as well in Augmentus, when we hire people, we don't really, I mean, yes, of course, we look at what you can do now. But more importantly, we look at, are you willing to Google? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, it really is, right? So let's say we, we give you a test, like a, maybe a coding test or a marketing test. Um, some of these questions, right, you can really just Google. Right? Mm. It's not that difficult. Right. So it's really about how willing are you to be independent, mm. to be self-sufficient, very resourceful. I think that is more important. And that's the reality of startups. I think uh, most of the time, I think th- that's why some people were saying that most of the time, if you need to attend uh, Entrepreneurship 101 workshop, uh, 
to be successful in a startup as an entrepreneur. Most of the time, that's not the case. You attend those workshops for the other benefits. Mm. Maybe you want to meet your mentor. You want to meet like-minded people to, to, to gain inspiration and stuff right. like that, right? It's not really, it's not really, really, really for the content. And also that can be the, said the same for NUS, mm. right? It really can be said the same for NUS as well, uh, right? The people are really what makes the school so prestigious, right? right. The content is, of course, but the people as well, mm. the, the talent that attracts, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I'm in the theater studies. I'm doing theater studies as my major. And it's definitely about the people. I mean, it's the teamwork. You cannot put up a production by yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's, that is the core of theater and which is why I love it so much. So thank you for bringing that up. And uh, just tell me more about your major. You are in econs, right? Yeah, I was doing econs uh, and I was I was taking up like double major and computing as well. Right. But I think right now I'm in my final year in the NUS. Uh, I kind of, I, I, I'm kind of prioritizing augmenters over my studies. So mm. I decided to drop it out and then just focus on just clearing the econs basket and and just graduate with the NUS cert, yeah. But you said you dropped out. Uh, I just took took that out of, out of my major, yeah. Okay, what was your considerations behind it? I think for me, it's it's just about opportunity cost, right? If I need to do double major, I need to take maybe one more year of NUS and then what is the benefit of being a computing... I mean, I mean... No, I, I don't see the benefit. As in, you, you have to weigh your own pros and cons. Right. And in my circumstances and situation, uh, I had to I, I had to make a decision, yeah. So you wanted an additional year off so you could focus on Augmentus? Yeah, I just want to graduate early so I can focus on Augmentus, yeah. Okay, so so basically Augmentus means a lot to you, right? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it is your baby. Would you call it your baby? Yeah, what about yeah. pay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll translate for you, yeah, never mind. Uh, yeah, so... This is a tough, a tough role you have, right? And what is the biggest challenge you're facing now? I think for us, it's about... Okay, so I think for us, it's definitely about uh, scaling. Uh, scaling a deep tech product. Uh, so deep tech basically means that there is a lot of R&D required to stabilize the product. So how do you scale it across uh, multiple applications and multiple industries? Mm -hmm. Um, in to outbeat your competitors, right? I think it's more towards strategy side. I think for us, sales, uh, we have been getting a lot of inbound. So that's not too much of an issue. But it's more about getting the right multipliers, mm. right? So multipliers will help you to basically multiply your growth. So I think that for us is about acquiring those multipliers. And then again, we are also living in a COVID world where you can't travel. So for us, most of our market is not in Singapore. I think manufacturing, a lot of it is mm. in Europe, US, China, Japan, Korea, for instance. And how do you go to these countries and scale within these countries when COVID is here? Mm. Uh, I mean, thankfully for us, we've already acquired some very big clients and partners in like Japan and Europe already. So that's very good news. But it's more than just that, right? Because we kind of want that hockey stick growth as well. So we need to set ourselves uh, as a right foundation. So I think that is still... Uh, I mean, we have a good idea of how to proceed, but we still need to validate things, right? We still need to optimize things and so on, the matrices and the route to market and so on. So those things are still uh, A-B testing, I would say, but we have a rather firm understanding of how to proceed. So that's that's a good thing. Yeah, That's great. That's great. And who do you consult when, when you need advice for your business? Oh, so the first people we consult actually tends to be like our, our VCs or our investors. So, uh, so, so we are seed funded. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So remember we talked about the stages. Yeah. So we had a seed <laughs> stage. So we're actually looking to... Yeah, so whenever we look for advice, we tend to look for our VCs because they have they have a lot of portfolio companies that have been where we are today. Right. So, yeah. So whenever we ask them, they usually have a pretty uh, experienced back response to give us. It may not be the right one because it's a different industry, but at least it's something for us to consider. Mm. So sometimes we... We follow with it. Sometimes we say, no, this is wrong. Mm. Right? Because of our industry, then we don't do it. Mm. But but they are usually our first point of contact. And I've, I'm also very close friends with some uh, entrepreneurship entrepreneurs mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in Singapore as well. So like uh, Rusidi from uh, Reactor School, right? Uh, he was one of my earliest mentors. I mean, I always speak to him. Uh, with, when I was fundraising, also, I'll speak to him a lot about the legalities. What What is a preference share? You know, mm. Stuff like that. Like it's, it's very, very complex, right? It is. And you have... And sometimes, yes, you can get the answer on Google. On Google yeah. But but there are certain complexities and nuances that it's very difficult to find on Google. Definitely. So, yeah. so you, it's better to have definitely a mentor or someone to talk to, yeah. Mm. Entirely agree. There's some information that I just refuse to get from Google. Like, <laughs> what to invest in. That, that is not something I want to Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I asked around. So... Let's go back to your mentor. Um, always good to have a mentor, right? I hear that a lot nowadays. Are there certain qualities that we should look at when we are looking for a mentor? Mm, I think it's someone that... I mean, I've, I've been around the block a bit. Like, and, and I do think that uh, mentorships, especially when you're a student, uh, the truth is that there's people that really want to mentor and aspire the next generation, right? Mm. But also, it's also a time cost for them. It's also a time cost for you. So, it's something that people have to understand. I think a lot of students, they tend to undervalue themselves to the point where, you know, uh, I'm worthless, right? Uh. So, so my time is, which is true, technically speaking, but you still have to value your time to a certain extent. So, I do think that uh, you have to look out for three key qualities in Mm. my opinion, right? So, firstly, it's it's about time sensitivity, right? So if, if let's say they are willing to spend like one, two hours a month or one, two hours every two months with you, I think it's a very, very, very precious time and and they do not really like uh, fiddle-faddle with their with their timings, right? They don't like, oh, sorry, uh, I think, you know, one one minute before or like, one hour before, yeah. I, I'm, I'm gone, sorry, I can't, I got some, a meeting. Uh, it's okay to postpone it a bit, but maybe don't cancel outright. I think that's also very important to set that, that foundation. Mm. And secondly, also, it's so about industry expertise. So the industry that you want to go in, they hopefully they have the relevant expertise. I think that's, that's amazing. And the last one is also about the morals, right? The values, the ethics. Right. So I've met many uh, mentors that uh, you know they are amazing people, really amazing people, very successful. But, but, but in the business world to succeed, most of the, a lot of the times you have to be a bit shady in your practices. Right. So you have to really understand. Uh, yes, they can be your mentor. Perfect. But you have to understand where the morals are at mm. and what you want to follow. So I think these three uh, characteristics are very, very important in my opinion. Yeah. Right. So essentially, time sensitivity, industry expertise. Yeah. Last one is morals and values. Did yeah. I get it? Yeah, yeah. It's okay. about, this about that, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I learned something new. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. And you talk about sometimes you have to be a little bit shady, right? And some people might grimace at that statement, yeah. might cringe. So, how how do you, what is an absolute no for you? And what are some of the gray areas that you have had to cross? Mm. I think for me, it's definitely like, do not, okay, I think the term overselling uh, is wrong. Right? I don't think people should oversell uh, to the point of lying, right? 
But positioning is very important, right? So for me, positioning uh, means that uh, when you when you speak to a client, you need to uh, package certain uh, information in a way that appeals to them, mm. right? But when they ask certain things, you do not like like lie to them about it, right? Which is actually relatively common uh, in like hackathons, for instance. A lot of, there's a lot of people in the this space that likes to fake their numbers, right? For mm. instance, which is I mean, it's definitely a wrong thing to do. So it's a, definitely a more morals and ethics thing again. Mm. Uh, but for for the gray side of things, a lot of people tend to uh, lie uh, in this space. And that is why uh, it's very common for a lot of MNCs, right? Today, when they do business with a startup, they will do a ton of due diligence because they have been bite uh, in the backside. Once bitten, Yeah, they've shy. been bite in the backside many mm. times, right? So, I mean, I'll be just speaking to, even the SME, a very large SME, just talking to him recently. He was saying that, also oh, so, so sorry for this relatively long duty process, right? Uh, it's because we used to work with a startup, uh, a similar industry as you, and and they promised they could deliver and they just couldn't deliver, right? And it's not it's not it's not couldn't deliver because of uh, certain things, right? It's just because they 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 didn't sell what uh, they didn't preach what they sell, you know, they mm. didn't deliver what they could sell. So, um, yeah, and and it just destroys the ecosystem, right? In general, I think also there's a few stories. I mean, I'm I'm not judging, but there's a few stories in the in the in Asia and media space also talking about how certain startups have been lying about their numbers, about their VC right. funding. Maybe you've heard of them. So it just ruins the entire ecosystem as well. So uh, I just I just think that uh, we all have to set ourselves a good example. But this doesn't mean that you don't shortchange yourself. Mm. right? It's all about positioning. It's all about understanding how do you package certain information to fit your clients. Uh, but it doesn't mean lying. And I think that is where you have to draw the line. Yeah, Right. So I'm hearing a lot of you need to be able to trust the people you work with, right? Trust that they're not lying to you. Trust that they can practice what they're preaching. Now let's scale down to within your company, the people you work with, right? Your colleagues, your coworkers, your friends. So has there been ever like times when they have lied to you or has everyone been like super clean? <laughs> I, you don't have to name names, just yeah. anecdotes. And what have you learned from them? I... Uh, to be frank, we are way too young and way too small. So I have yet to experience it. Mm. Uh, definitely in my previous jobs in Citibank and Seagate, uh, I've experienced these these things before. But in Augmenters in particular, uh, not yet. Uh, maybe I just haven't found out. But we also give a lot of autonomy to our employees, right? So some of our full-timers, uh, we just give them autonomy over certain projects, let them handle it. Uh, and then they can come back to us. I think micromanaging to a level... Uh, where a lot of like MNCs does it sometimes, mm. uh, it, it will breed uh, some form of lying to meet KPI, mm. right? So when you give some form of autonomy uh, within like a one-week, two-week, three-week kind of spectrum, uh, it gives a lot of flexibility and, and also breeds company culture. I don't think lying to meet KPI is a, is a personal, like individual problem. It also can be a systemic com- company problem because, I mean, it was a case for me sometimes in Citibank and Seagate, you know, I see some people... They, they, they do a lot of shady things to meet KPI. But yes, they are at fault. But also sometimes it's the company culture that mm. the upper management uh, brings, right? That right. develops. So, yeah. So at the moment right now, we have yet to, to I've yet to see it. Mm. But I do expect to see it. There's, there's no doubt about it. That's human nature. Right. Uh, so we just need to have uh, proper processes and contingencies in place to cope with that. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting you talk about systemic nature and company policies and how that breeds, how that affects the individual, right? So as a young company, how do you ensure that the culture of your company as you're building it and forming it, it, it does not go into that negative path? It, it breeds positive, you know, juju vibes. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I would say. Uh, so... <laughs> Okay, for us, we don't have. I don't. I don't have a clear answer to this, right? But for me, uh, I mean, I speak to a lot of my mentors, a lot of my our friends as well. And the best way for it is that company culture is not decided from a top-down approach, but more from bottom bottom-up approach. Mm. And uh, of course, the top-down management has to filter, right? So the act is a filtration kind of mechanism. Uh, so because you you have a certain idea of what the company should be, you filter things. But most of the time, you don't enforce a lot of things, right? And that's where the bottoms-up approach uh, happens. Uh, we do, we are very close to our, our, our team. So you, sometimes you see, even in startups, right? Sometimes you will never meet the CEO or the CEO or the mm. co-founder. So you just meet like your supervisor. We don't really do that. So every time we onboard someone, we always have a face-to-face -face session. Exit also with a face-to-face session to really learn uh, what can be improved. Like anonymous tips, we also do that, right? So I think... Uh, these are just small practices that we do uh, to be very, very close to our team. And we don't really, it's not really like a, a boss and employee relationship that we have. It's really more of a friend-friend uh, relationship uh, that we have. So sometimes we, we just stay on the valley, you know, play like Smash Bros. <laughs> <laughs> and so on. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that we try to do to keep everyone, at, le at least for us to know what's happening on the grounds mm. uh, so that we are able to analyze and, and, and see what's wrong. Right. Uh, yeah. So you talk about this is not a, like a boss and um employee relationship is more of a friend friendly relationship, right? And has that ever brought any challenges, you know, mm. you trying to be a friend rather than a boss? Yeah, definitely. Uh so so when I say friends, right, I don't mean there's no hierarchy. It's mm. something I would want to be very clear. Yeah. There needs to be hierarchy so that there's order and there's clear distribution of roles. Right, but it's more towards like a, a emotional and personal level. So with regards to to what the negatives of such a model can have is, I think you can become so uh, attached uh, to people that sometimes uh, maybe letting them go or not continuing with them can be a bit difficult to swallow, right? Mm. And I think that's where as founders or as, as part of the management team, you have to separate logic from emotion. It's not easy things to do. We're all emotional people. Yep. But I think uh, that is one of the, the downsides that for me, I face. I think definitely uh, one of the most difficult jobs uh, as a founder you have to do is to let someone go. Mm. Yeah. And that is a role that can't be done by anyone else but yourself. So yeah, it's more difficult than fundraising. It's more difficult <laughs> than selling. Maybe it's even more difficult than building a product. So mm. uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's quite difficult. Yeah. All right, so Daryl, how do you know when you need to let someone go? Uh, for us, it's uh, it's it's so so. Firstly, it's definitely about com company culture fit. If they, it's very clear that they can't gel. Maybe because of, like you know, they they they're just not decent people to work with. Mm. There's people like that, a small minority, but there are. Then you have to let them go, right? Mm. Even if they perform very well, you don't want to jeopardize the company just for them. Then secondly, it's also about uh, definitely about competency, right? So. Yes, maybe you onboard them early. They, they may not be as competent as possible. But we we do expect some form of growth. But if you see them stagnate, stagnating, right? Maybe maybe not just one month, right? But three months. We do give them like, like some time to grow, right? 
And it's very clear that no, this is not it. Lah. I think I'm so sorry, but and they they, they know it also. Yeah. In, in almost every scenario, right, uh, the guy would uh resign before you have to fire. Right. It's only that the, maybe those small full of people that you have to fire them first before they resign. Mm. But they know it also. It's very clear because it's not like you're you're you thought you were overperforming, then you're like, oh my god, you're fired. It's it's very rarely there's a case. Mm. Uh at least for augmenters and, and some of the startups that we work with, because we're always looking at uh, KPI and and competency, right? Mm. But we also want them to be uh growing. So usually even before we let them go, we would always talk to them, have a face-to-face meeting with them. Uh, let them know like, oh, these are certain things that I think needs to be improved on. Can you work on them? Uh, and stuff like that. And also just want to understand what's holding them back, right? Mm. Uh, yeah. And it's really about synergy. It's a mutual thing. It's really not a one-way street. It's really a mutual thing. I think that's something people have to understand uh, in general. Right. So we talked about when to let people go. Now, what do you look at when people are wanting to come on board into your company? Like hiring, is it? Yeah. Actually, actually, I mentioned just now, right? So, I think that is one of the key characteristics is really about independence. So, um, so firstly, of course, they, 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 they cannot have really a toxic mentality in general. But that's actually very, very difficult to find out during a hiring process. Mm. It's almost impossible. How do you right. ask the right questions to, to find that out? So, that's why there's this thing called probation, right? Uh. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but the main one for us we look at is really about uh, independence and... and because as a startup, you, you can't always be fed a silver spoon, right? You need to have that autonomy uh, to do things that you want to do and, and to research yourself and to grow. So that's what we practice. I mean, yes, I, I don't think we are a, a, a norm in the startup space. I think we are probably, because I've been on the blog as well. Some companies, they love to micromanage, right? Everything that, even as an intern, right? Everything that you do uh, is really been set in plan. Right, uh, but for us, no. For us, is you really do have quite a lot of autonomy. That that is why with that level of autonomy, you need to have independence, and you need to have, you need to have googliness. Yeah, <laughs> you need to be a googler, basically. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you, it may seem like a very easy thing to do, but it's surprisingly not that common. I would say. Yeah. Mm. So you talk about the probation period. Yeah. What do you look out for? You know, what are some things that jump out at you? I think for us, it's really about that stagnation, right? So if let's say, because when you come on board, we don't expect you to know everything. I mean, in our industry, robotics, uh, it's almost impossible to find people that know this space, especially as a fresh grad or maybe two, three years in the industry. So we do definitely expect some form of like a a growth, Mm. right? So if, let's say the growth isn't really meeting our expectation or it's severely like not meeting it, then we would definitely... Read, read, like flag it out to them and say oh is there anything wrong you know what are you like how, how's everything doing mm. because because we're making assumptions that may not be true so we just want to make sure everything is is correct uh, but in most cases usually after a few talks we will understand what's happening then uh, it's either uh, they they realize that they have to change certain things and they, they start starting to have this rapid growth mm. which which does happen a lot of the times uh, because we align our ideology right together. Or the secondly, it's uh, they realize that this is not for them, then they have to let go, which also happens mm. uh, as well. Cool. So when you say you talk to them, is it you talk to them or they have a mentor in the company? Usually, right now as a small company, mm. uh, they report directly to... So it's either report directly to us or report directly to like a, a full-timer or like or like someone that is senior position. Okay. And the, the full-timer, of course, reports to us, right? So we definitely know what's going on. So most of the time, 
uh, it's either me and the full timer talks to them, or I talk to them directly. Right. Yeah. So, uh, most of the time, it would be just us talking to them uh, yeah. as, as the co-founders. Yeah. So this this term growth can be quite ambiguous. Can you clarify what it means in your company? What, how do mm. how do I know that I'm growing? It depends on the job role. Right? Mm. I mean, definitely. So let's 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 bring it down to something a bit more relatable, right? So let's say we talk about like marketing, for instance. Uh, so when you come inside the company, you definitely don't know anything about robotics. I mean, the chance of you knowing a thing about robotics is very, very low unless you came from the industry. Mm. So so we, we do expect you to start learning what exactly it means to be in the robotics industry and where our software sits and the different value aspects of this industry. Mm. right? So that's actually pretty basic. Uh, so that is something that we expect growth on. Mm. So basically industry expertise industry knowledge mm. to go on. And this is something Google Google <laughs> helps uh, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Google helps a lot. Uh. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so I think that is one aspect of growth. Mm. Secondly, also regarding the marketing, for instance, like understanding SEO, understanding marketing matrix, understanding uh, KPIs and, 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 and what KPIs to hit when it comes to marketing. Certain technical aspects also definitely grows, grows, grows on. Uh, so it really does depend on the role uh, that, we, that we see see fit. Yeah. Cool, cool. And you are you hiring? Yeah, we definitely are. So we are actively looking for uh, UI developers, so Unity developers out there, uh, software developers, robotics developers, marketing uh, interns as well. We are looking at. So we're hiring both full timers and interns, but prioritizing more towards full timers because mm. we have we still have a fair bit of open positions not filled yet. Mm. So if you're interested in robotics uh, out there, feel free to apply at augmenters.tech. Can you spell that for us? So A-U-G-M-E-N-T-U-S dot T-E-C-H. All right, yeah. cool. And uh, last question. Why Augmentus? Where, where did the name come from? Oh, man. <laughs> Why? Long story. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit long. So we took like, I think one month to decide this name. Uh, it, was a, it was a tedious process. I think for us, when we first started out, the product was actually meant more towards like augmented reality. So like using AR, so augmented reality to program robots, right? It's very, very intuitive, mm. right? Uh, but then we realized that AR is a bit more like a marketing gimmick after, because mm. then we started doing things that are not AR. So right now, it's not, not AR at all. Uh, but that was how we started off. Mm. Then we didn't want the term to be too similar to augmented reality, right? We want it to be a bit more all-encompassing. So we realized that augmented, that augmented, is a verb, mm-hmm. right? It means to like empower someone. Right. So then augment, then us, so US, augmentus. <laughs> cool, nice. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the birth of the name uh, of augmentus, yeah. Right, and you guys can't see, but Daryl is wearing this lovely red shirt with the augmentus printed on it. So do you sell that as merchandise? Uh, no. No? It's uh, limited for company staff. <laughs> uh, so if you want a shirt, <laughs> company staff. Okay. So thank you, Daryl, um, for coming on my show. Are there any words of encouragement or advice you want to leave with my listeners when it comes yeah. to entrepreneurship or startups, business? Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I think there's one thing that every aspiring entrepreneur needs to know is that you need to be self-aware enough to understand your strengths and weaknesses, right? Because what you need to do is to double down on your on your strengths and then delegate your weaknesses. Because great things, right, are formed by people, by a team of people very good at what they do, mm. right? So you need that kind of core competency within your team. Uh, do not be the person that does everything 5 out of 10. 
Mm. Right? Be the person that does maybe two or three things. Eight to nine out of ten. Mm. That's very important. And I think that when I speak to a lot of my VC friends, that is probably one of the things that uh, a lot of us tend to agree on. Is this this and it's not really spoken of enough. Because we live in a world where a lot of times being the jack of all trades is better than being a master of like one. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's very important for entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Daryl. And if my listeners want to reach out to Daryl, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, on, on LinkedIn. So you can Google Daryl. I mean, search Daryl Lim on LinkedIn. Or you can just search Augmenters and I, I should be there. Yeah. I mean, even if you Google, so can find I mean, it. It should be. It should I mean, be, yeah. Google has everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So thank you so much, listeners, for listening. I've been very grateful and I forever will be. So tune in to the next episode um, next Tuesday. So same time, same place. And yeah, stay safe, stay well, and stay happy. Bye.